Welcome to Politics Done Right. I am your host, Egberto Willis. This is a progressive program that will take the mystery out of politics. This is the program that will encourage you to make sure government becomes we the people. Whether you are liberal, progressive, conservative, or otherwise, you get to air your point of view. We are an independent media outlet that, unlike mainstream media beholden to corporations, we only owe allegiance to you. Remember, you can also send me a tweet at E-G-B-E-R-T-O-W-I-L-L-I-E-S. That is at Egberto Willis. Let us engage. It is politics done right. Welcome to one more edition of Politics Done Right on KPFT, your community radio station. We have a great and packed program for you today. So hang in there with us for the whole, the entire show. State Representative Penny Shaw and John Rosenthal joins us on their fight in D.C. for voting rights. Activist Neil Aquino fights at Austin Capitol. State Representative Penny Morales Shaw appeared on Politics Done Right. She explained the reason why she joined the Democratic Caucus that bolted from Texas to deny Republicans a quorum and with that denying them the ability to pass their voter suppression bill. She first made it clear that the sacrifice they are making is nowhere close to the sacrifice her constituents will have to make if Republicans have their way. Farid Zakaria explains how the death and destruction caused by COVID are man-made made, given the speed at which the vaccine was developed. And, and guess who's responsible? The GOP. It is every. It, it is easy to blame Republican politicians, right-wingers and right-wingers and evangelicals for COVID vaccine resistance. It is time to assign blame to reporters who lack critical thinking skills and asks all the wrong questions. Neil Aquino was not going to wait for any organized movement to get involved. He is a citizen who made sure his politicians knew he would not let them rescind our voting rights. Neil wrote on his Facebook page, I am going to Austin with a sign that says, we won't let Republicans steal democracy. I'll stand in the rotunda of the Capitol for 90 minutes or so with my sign, driving all the way to Austin to stand in the rotunda for 90 minutes. That's what I call activism. That is what we need. Put in our bodies on the line. District 135, Texas State Representative John Rosenthal visits with us to detail why Texas Democrats are in D.C. and at what cost. State Representative John Rosenthal wants to make it clear that no Texas taxpayer dollars are going to support them in Washington, D.C. At great peril to their own personal economies, these brave Democratic Texas legislators are doing all within their power to save democracy, not only for Texas, but for the entire country. Before we get started, however, please remember to keep your community radio station, KPFT, in your mind. Talk about it. Tell your friends to tune in to 90.1 FM Houston or listen to kpft.org. Likewise, keep our 100,000-watt station that covers the entire Southeast Texas on air and help us get the backup generator by donating what you can afford at our website, kpft.org, in the name of Politics Done Right, of course. Lastly, remember, Remember, you can get Politics Done Right Mondays through Fridays on Facebook Live at facebook.com slash politics done right or on YouTube Live at politicsunright.com slash YouTube. Please do not forget to follow me on Twitter for updates. My handle is at Egberto Willis at E-G-B-E-R-T-O-W-I-L-L-I-E-S. 
As you know, we have several of our Texas uh, legislators in Washington D.C. right now. What we can only be con that can only be considered our local heroes. I want to first of all introduce you to the one and only Penny Shaw. Penny, how are you doing today? We are maintaining. I'm doing good, and I'm happy to be with you here with you today on the show. Representative Penny Shaw is uh, from District, uh, represents District 148 in the Houston area, right? Correct. Yes. Now, Houston, North Side, and a part of Spring Branch. And a part of Spring Branch. Now, let me first ask you um, how painful is it to be doing what you're having to do right now? Well, I can first say, let me, let me just start that out with saying the sacrifices that any sacrifices that we're making. Um, hells in comparison to um, the potential sacrifices that mm -hmm. voters and election workers will have to make if this bill were to pass. Um, okay. But I will speak to your question, though. Um, there was a member here who was supposed to get married last week. She had a wedding uh, that was canceled. Uh, we have members who have birthdays and they have to have them here in isolation from their families. We have people who are parenting via Zoom. Um, it's especially hard for parents with small kids, and there are many members who have small children, and they are having to be away from them for an extended period of time. And because of COVID precautions, they can't necessarily be here um, with them. Even Otherwise, they probably could travel here, but they're not able to. Uh, and hopefully, a lot of the people that are listening or watching got to see the MSNBC national coverage last night at, on the uh, last word show. Uh, because several members talked about uh, their hardships and, well, just being away from our home amenities. We don't have cars. We don't, we're, we're living in our workplace. We're, we're living in a public place, essentially. Um, obviously, our risks are heightened here because we're sharing elevators and hallways, and it's a big hotel, and it's a busy hotel, um, and we have to take public transportation if we need to get some kind of amenity uh, so, you know, those are some of the things I can think of. Obviously, a lot of our businesses, uh, we, a lot of us own businesses and for our businesses are on hold. They're idling right now uh, because we, a lot of us can't work, uh, do, do what we do professionally remotely. Um, and others are trying to do their work remotely uh, from their hotel room. So that's I hope that paints a little picture of what it's like here. I think that is one of the most important pictures because what I wanted to show and the reason I didn't even go into the voter details of the of why you over there. I want the listeners to understand that this isn't a game. This has financial impacts on our Congress people or on our representatives who, as you said, have businesses and your salary as a rep is minimal. Six hundred dollars, I think, a month or something like that. Correct. Sometimes a little less. Right. Sometimes a little less. So what you all are doing in Washington, D.C. is not a gimmick. It is not a stunt. It is not trying to get attention because it has material impact on every single one of our state or Democratic state legislators that are in D.C. Now that we've got that out of the way, I want our audience to realize that do not buy into the narrative that somehow this is a gimmick for attention. This is real. Now, please, uh, Representative, please tell me exactly now, what is it that you're fighting for? The freedom to vote. That's what we're fighting for, not only for Texans, but across America. There have been a slew of legislation filed in at least 46 states 
to restrict voter access uh, and to do have many impacts on voting that are essentially chilling effects to voters. And we can talk about those more elaborately. But specifically in Texas, our bill, and by the way, in 17 of those states, at least 17 of those states, the bills have already passed. So Texas would have been the next state to pass such legislation had we not left the state to break quorum, which essentially then does not allow the House to vote on the bill uh, that's before us. Now, let me go back a little bit. In the regular session, which is January to May, this same voter restriction bill came up. Well, not this same one because it even had more uh, restriction, uh, but because we broke quorum then, they took out some of the things that were restricted. But this one is still very harmful and we're still opposed to it. it this bill is called HB3. Uh, you may have heard of it before as HB6. That's what it was in regular session. In that bill, it had all of the same provisions that we see now, but it also had um, banning voter uh, voting uh, sold to the polls on Sunday. And it also had a provision that would basically allow elections to be overturned without a finding of fraud, just allegations. So once we broke quorum on May 31st and, and therefore that bill died, um, though that came out in the media and it was an embarrassment, it, it, that one, those two got a lot of attention. And so they said those were mistakes. We didn't need to have them in there. And those were pulled out. Um, nonetheless, um, the governor, this is his priority. This is the GOP priority bill. And so they called a special session to bring us back. And mind you, special sessions cost taxpayer dollars, a lot of money, and are meant for extraordinary matters, uh, just emergency extraordinary matters that need to be addressed to call the legislature back into a special session. Well, in the governor's mind, this is one of those things. Um, COVID wasn't. Uh, the, the winter freeze and giving people relief wasn't. Uh, and many other things weren't, but this is. And so he's called a special session to bring us, bring us back to really, this is the priority bill that, that, that they want to pass. Um, looking at the bill, there are many, many voter restriction problems still that exist, even though the ban on closed polls is taken out. Um, you have the empowerment of partisan poll watchers who can be intimidating, um, who can now get up very close to people, uh, as close to actually the, the law says to see and hear what's going on at the polls. Uh, and that includes election workers and well, voters are all around and they can wander around freely. So it's also uh, can be very intimidating to voters as well. Uh, and we know that people go to great lengths to go to the poll and vote. They wait hours and hours sometimes. Um, they have to sometimes take off work. They sometimes have to take their kids. They, they just, they have to go through a lot. It's not, oftentimes it's not an in and out. So to be subjected to um, untrained, uh, and and uh, partisan people that are sent there by specific parties or candidates or organizations um, and have to be overseen by them and potentially intimidated by them is not something that, that we want. We don't consider that helpful or favorable or in any way um, empowering voters to continue. Technically to, speaking, technically speaking right. it's illegal. <clears throat> well, this bill is making it legal. Um, and I don't think I have to tell you, you can use your imagination about what kind of people and what kind of paraphernalia, what kind of weapons, uh, all of these things um, that we've seen in the past. We don't want to codify 
any any parts of that to make it a law and to give these give these kind of partisan poll watchers a safe haven at our election at our election polls. Um, it creates criminal pitfalls uh, throughout the bill. Uh, so that innocent people who think they're just helping somebody vote uh, could suddenly be involved in a criminal act uh, or if an election worker gives somebody. Uh, I, I think that one is very important, uh, uh, Representative, because uh, there, there's a part that I think if, if you're helping auntie or helping grandma, uh, you have to fill out some sort of an affidavit that says uh, that that says whether you helped or not or whether you assisted or not. And if you turned out to answer that in a way that they can interpret it some other different way, you can get thrown in jail for that. And you may just, you know, be doing it innocently. Someone may ask, a neighbor may ask you for help, someone who who isn't their native language or they just don't understand. Sometimes uh, um, the ballot can be complicated and provisions in their ballot measures uh, they can be complicated. So they just create fine lines that you have to walk. Um, and, and that creates pitfalls for people who are, everybody's not a lawyer. Everybody is. And even lawyers aren't going to know this unless they go study the bill and the bill is nuanced. It's probably 50 pages long. It's not a simple bill. And, and so essentially without getting into the, the nitty gritty nuanced details, it creates a chilling effect to people who want to help for people who want to go vote. Um, Election workers, that's another part. People, uh, and you mentioned family members. I want to go back to that for a second because there is, it, it does still have, you can't, you can help family members vote, um, but they have narrowed that. And again, you have to be careful with exactly following the, the strict guidelines of the law, basically, even if you are helping a family member. It's not just like, I'm going to help my Thea or I'm going to help my Awalifa or my aunt or my uncle. Um, or my grandparents or my parents. It's just not like a simple thing. They're, they're, it's in the code and it has to be followed. Um, and election workers, they are often retired people who just want to make sure that democracy is upheld and they want to make sure our elections are safe and honest. Um, their, their ability to keep our polls functioning properly, and they are trained, these trained people, um, is grossly restricted by the, by the proposed law. Uh, giving poll work, partisan poll watchers more authority, basically, than, than an election the poll worker. worker. Right. And get, it, giving them more protection and more more uh, autonomy, basically. Oops, getting a call. Let me uh, decline. Okay. Yes. You're now, what is sad, uh, Representative, is that um, I think what we showed in Harris County, the, the second largest county in the country, was that if you give people options to vote, they'll vote. And what scared them to death is that people came out of the woodworks to vote and absent them uh, not uh, not further uh, uh, suppressing the vote in, in uh, Harris County. Our mm-hmm. own attorney general, Ken Paxton, said that Donald Trump would have lost the election mm-hmm. in Texas had he's not been successful in stopping Harris County from doing what they were doing. That's exactly right. You're, that's exactly on point. We had record turnouts in 2020. Um, and despite despite the intimidation that was attempted with the census. Right. So despite that, we had record turnouts at the polls. And you're right. That yielded results that were astonishing. I mean, it gave us a, a new administration. And this bill, in a lot of ways, really feels directly targeted to 
to the Houston and Harris County area because you're right. We we did expansive things. We we enlarged access to the voters, and because of it, we gave more people the ability and ease to go and vote. And isn't that what it's all about? That is what. That is yeah. actually what it's all about. We're we're coming up on time right here, okay. um, Representative. So please tell me, uh, what would you have liked me to ask you? What would you like to tell our audience that I haven't thus far? That we are we're working here, uh, despite the seeds of doubt that are trying to be planted and the simplicity they're trying to make this bill sound like. It's harmless. It's helpful. Uh, we're in agreement with any part of the bill that makes elections safer, although our secretary of state of Texas came out and testified that our elections are safe. And there are very little problems, very little incidents of fraud uh, in the millions of voters. So this bill is uh, a solution looking for a problem uh, that doesn't exist. And I just want to want all of the Texas voters and listeners out there to know that your legislators, your elected officials are here because we realize the gravity of what's at stake and we want to protect the right to vote because it's at the core of our democracy and this bill affects everyone. It affects everyone and we want to make sure that that right is not infringed upon or trampled on. Texas House Representative Penny Shaw, thank you so kindly for having been on Politics Done Right. And I tell you, you are one of our heroes out there. Please keep up the good work because we know the pain that you guys are going through out there in D.C., being away from your businesses, your families, your churches, or wherever it is that, uh, whatever it is that you do here in Texas. Thank you, Roberto. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We are here with Neil Aquino, who drove all the way from Houston, Texas to Austin to represent, to ensure that we are there representing, that we will not tolerate folks not allowing us to vote. Neil, how are you doing today? Tell us a little bit about what you did in Austin today. Well, I, I drove up. Am I audible to you? You can hear me? Yes, sir. Great. I drove up to Austin. I did so also last Monday. And um, I just have a sign uh, today. It says, uh, don't we won't let Texas Republicans steal our democracy. And uh, today I really just stood in the rotunda of the Capitol for two hours uh, with my sign right right under the dome. And uh, the people the people saw me and, and, and a lot of the people approved it. You know, it's it's important that uh, that we actually participate because what's happening right now is a lot of this stuff is occurring under the radar, Neil. A, a lot of people uh, say, you know, they, they don't realize what's going on because it sort of just it it, it, it it sort of just stays underneath on the ground. Tell me why it is that you think it was necessary for you to make that trip. You did it by yourself. Why was it necessary for you to make that trip? I did it by myself. Um I think it's important for each of us to show up for ourselves and for others. I think you can't uh, you can't depend on a system that um, can't guarantee free elections anymore and that messed up the weather. You've got to show up for yourself. Um, you know, elections matter and there's a moral difference between the two parties. But we have to show up for ourselves and we have to make clear that we won't let democracy be taken from us. And I think a physical and pres a physical presence is really, really important because I think we're going to have to whatever tactics the right wants to introduce to our politics. We, we need to be ready for that. So I want to set that example. 
Well, Neil, you wrote a prescient message yesterday on your Facebook, uh, and I responded to that. I don't think you got a, a chance to see it before, but I, I want to read what you said, because what you said is prescient. You said, tomorrow, Monday, 726, I am going to drive from Houston to the state capitol in Austin. I did this last Monday as well. I want to make clear my view. We must show up for ourselves to protect democracy. The democracy suppression bill and the so-called critical race bill, which erases history, both up for passage in Austin, is are intolerable. I am going to Austin with a sign saying, we don't let Republicans steal democracy. I'll stand in the rotunda of the Capitol for 90 minutes or so with my sign. Many states attack democracy. The federal government can't, won't act. City police direct military scale operations at large protests for change. The weather is screwy. How is this a viable way to have hope? There has to be a mass movement that can't be policed off streets or some other avenue of hope. In the right. is the link for the upcoming March called by Reverend Barbara Plan for this week ahead. Please attend if you can. Our freedom is up to each of us. Neil, those were prescient words. Tell us a little bit about the uh, Barbara March. Right. Well, the Barber March, and I'm not I'm not directly connected to it, but it, it runs Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, I believe, um, from Georgetown, uh, Texas, uh, which is, I think, 28 miles out of the Capitol. And I encourage if you're not, um, I encourage people to find the link, uh, Reverend Barber, B-A-R-B-E-R. And um, he's been with the Poor People's Campaign. They do have some COVID restrictions. And I am hopeful that the final march on Saturday here at the Capitol, which I'm hoping hoping to be here, is going to be big. Um, so this this march to me has seemed like the biggest thing so far. A lot of the old groups we're familiar with, um, you know, they seem to be afraid of mass participation. They, um, you know, they have people on staff. They need they 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 seem to be afraid of the public, and uh, we need to show up ourselves um, and, and create our own infrastructure. And in the end, we're going to have to show that we, whatever the right intends, because when you like with the critical race bill, when you start erasing people's history, that's almost worse than the voter suppression because you're erasing, not just the, the hope of the future, you're erasing the past. And, and that is a path to some genocidal thoughts and to some terrible thoughts. Absolutely. So, uh, so I, I'll, I'll try to be out there on Saturday as well. I think it's going to be at the Capitol. It starts in Georgetown, 20 something yeah. miles away from the Capitol. Now, Lee, le, I mean, uh, Neil, let me ask you one last question. Uh, yeah. I want you to tell Texans. I mean, first of all, I want everybody to understand N95 masks work, even uh, uh, pre uh, helping prevent right. those reinfections. N95 and I wore masks. a mask in the rotunda. I wore the mask inside. There you go. And I will have my N95 masks. They're cheap now. You can get them all over. They're reputable. 3M and many other corporations are making these masks. But go out there and put your bodies out there. The one thing that's good about the right, Neil, and you know what I'm talking about, they show up. We need to show right. up. We do. And let me tell you, I'm just by chance, this thing, but this hit, this hideosity, monstrosity behind me is the Confederate uh, memorial. So it's it's I'm sorry that decent people even have to look at it. And um, but that's, you know, that's right here on the Capitol. That's right here on the Capitol. And so, you know, this 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 legacy has never left them. And, and we are back to a time of, uh, of white supremacy, erasing 
the history of, of the civil rights movement, the unions, the gay movements, everything. And we, you really physically have to show up for yourself. And it's not a pleasant message to tell people, you, you know what, these gains aren't secure. And, and you, your future just may involve the, the, the conflict of, of securing your rights and the rights of others. And it's, it's a lousy break. Um, but that seems to be increasingly the way it is. Lee Aquino, a very active activist out of Houston, making the almost 200 mile trip to Austin, Texas on his own to be in the Capitol with his sign. Sir, my respect to you, my honor to you. And we all should be doing that. Folks, N95 Mass, let's get our bodies on the line. Great. Thank you so much for having me, Egberto. Talk to you all soon. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Stay the course. Thank you, sir. Farid Zakaria asked the pertinent question, or he made the pertinent statement. He said, the Republican Party has indulged its crazes for too long. And you know what that has caused? It has permeated into a form that exacerbated the COVID epidemic in the United States and likely around the world. I want you to listen to this piece that he did. I cut it a bit, but listen to this piece because I think it is so important for folks to get it. There is one striking thing that distinguishes this pandemic from all previous ones in history, the speed with which humankind came up with a vaccine. It is unprecedented and still breathtaking that within months of the arrival of a novel virus, scientists were able to develop and test several vaccines that all proved to be highly effective at preventing serious illness. But what science has given, politics seems to be taking away. Despite having ample supplies of the vaccine, America is stuck with roughly 60% of the adult population fully vaccinated, ensuring that the pandemic will linger perhaps forever. Given the tools to end this tragedy, we are choosing to live with it. As The Economist points out, the anti-vax movement in America today is unprecedented. There have always been people who objected to vaccinations, but they were on the fringe, a smattering of naysayers. The price of these rejectionists was usually small, a few outbreaks of measles every now and then. This time, it's different. In the midst of a raging pandemic that has killed 600,000 Americans, we have seen the rise of a vast right-wing conspiracy theory about the vaccine. It has been stoked by influential figures in the conservative media and tolerated, even encouraged, by powerful Republican politicians. The results are damning. As of June... 86% of Democrats had received at least one dose, compared with just 52% of Republicans. All the states with the lowest levels of vaccination, Mississippi, Alabama, Arkansas, Wyoming, and Louisiana, voted heavily for Donald Trump. Barely half of Republican House members report being vaccinated. Now, anti-vax sentiment is not just an American problem. In many places around the world, there are segments of the population often rural, often less educated, who are vaccine hesitant. But there are few equivalents anywhere in the world of what's happened in America, where major political forces have been propagating misinformation consistently on a wide scale about a deadly disease. In fact, American misinformation has now gone global, legitimizing and encouraging anti-vaxxers around the world. Like the U.S., 
France has had high levels of anti-vax sentiment, but political leadership seems to be changing things there. President Emmanuel Macron recently announced that health workers would be required to get vaccinated and the unvaccinated would not be allowed to enter restaurants and cafes, go to theaters and cinemas, or take trains and planes. This new vaccine passport has drawn loud protests, but millions of French people have signed up for the vaccine since Macron announced these rules. Although France's opposition leaders oppose the policy as heavy-handed, they are not spreading misinformation about vaccines. President Biden needs to get tough. He should explain that while we cherish freedom in America, you do not have the right to do anything and everything when it endangers the lives of others or places burdens on them. Here are some things that you are forced to do even in America. Go to school, pay taxes, register for the draft if you are male, serve on a jury. There are also many things that you are not allowed to do that might be mistakenly seen as involving no one else. You may not buy or sell controlled substances, litter on public streets, make loud noise after certain hours, and so on. If you drive a car, you are required to get a license, buy insurance, wear a seatbelt, obey street signs and speed limits, have the car inspected, and not drink alcohol before driving. If you want your children to go to a public school in America, they must be vaccinated. These are all mandates because seemingly private actions actually impose public costs. You should not have the right to spread disease and occupy a precious hospital bed. Some Republican politicians and conservative media figures are finally urging people to get vaccinated, but they may be too late, as they did with the rise of Donald Trump. The allegations of voter fraud and the accusations of a stolen election. The Republican Party has indulged its crazies for too long, fanning the flames of falsehood and creating a miasma of misinformation. Even now, leading Republican governors like Ron DeSantis are pandering to their base by making it illegal to require proof of vaccination in Florida. Republicans say that they are for economic growth and against lockdowns, but it is the Republican Party and the conservative media by their actions and negligence that are endangering America's economy and far more importantly, the lives of its people. I mean, that program, uh, Farid Zakaria GPS, that's an important program to watch. It's, it's more in depth and it's more, uh, it's not partisan and anything that it does. It's just a fact based program on CNN. I think everybody, if you have the opportunity to do it, TiVo it, whatever, hear me, TiVo, uh, uh, record it, whatever you need to do. It's a good program to watch. But anyhow, he hits the nail on the head, Farid Zakaria. Uh, there are a lot of things that, even even Republicans right now know they have to do. They have to vaccinate against measles, mumps, varela, all these different things. And they, they have to have a driver's license. They have to have insurance. How did this uh, coronavirus become such a big issue? It's a political play. And this political play has caused over 600,000 American lives. I want you to re- remember that. Starting with Donald Trump and the handling of this pandemic because it was politicized. It, is, it has caused us over 600 million Americans. We need to mitigate that. As he says, the Republican Party has indulged its crazies for too long. Until we unindulge them, more Americans will continue to die, both from their past policies, their present policies, and the policies that they want. Previously, I showed a clip of a pastor 
that pretty much told his congregation that the Delta variant to the COVID virus was somehow a hoax or something like that. He also told his congregation, if you come here with a mask, we're going to throw you out of church. If you want to wear a mask or social distance, uh, uh, supposedly to stop yourself from getting a vaccine, go to the First Baptist Church or Second Baptist Church. Don't come to our church. Don't come to our evangelical church here. I mean, so everybody thinks it's the right wing that's so bad with uh, why people are so misinformed. That's true. It is also Republicans that are adopting certain philosophies that also make their people less likely to take the vaccine. And in, in other words, they're killing their own. But that's not the only problem. We have reporters who simply seem to lack critical thinking in the way they ask questions. And the way they ask questions, instead of allowing information to flow or allowing people to get the information that will make them make the right decisions, it actually opens more questions because it gives one the impression that, oh, maybe you shouldn't really have to do that. Because after all, the president said this before, and then now look at what he's saying. Check this out, then we'll take it on the other side. President's message was get vaxxed or masked, and now it's get vaxxed and masked in some cases. So does he regret sending the message that it was a binary choice there? Well, Lisa, I think that those comments were back in May. Uh, and as I noted at the time, uh, the Delta variant was a uh, was by no means uh, an, a variant as it, uh, the variant that it is today. It was not uh, even a I can look at this specific data, but it was 99 uh, percent of cases were not Delta at the time. That was based on guidance from the CDC. Today, they're changing their guidance. They're changing their uh, their advice to the American public, their public health advice based on evolving data and an evolving historical guidance. That uh, variant. Uh, virus. That's exactly what they should be doing. And then on the CDC guidance, why did the president say, if you've been fully vaccinated, you no longer need to wear a mask? Let me repeat, if you are fully vaccinated, you no longer need to wear a mask if it was possible that that was going to turn out not to be true. Well, Peter, I think we're all dealing with an evolving virus uh, where there's no playbook and no historic precedent. And what the American people should feel confident in is that we are going to continue to be guided by science, look at public health data in order to provide new guidance if it's needed to save lives, protect the American people. When he made those comments back in May, uh, we were dealing with a very different strain of the virus than we were uh, than we are today. And Delta is more transmissible. It's spreading much more quickly. It was nearly non-existent in the United States back in May. And so my last one would be, you guys have been saying this is a pandemic of the unvaccinated. If that is coming from the CDC, is the president satisfied with the leadership at the CDC right now? The president is satisfied uh, with the fact that they are continuing to look at public health data uh, and give provide public health guidance to the American public about how they can protect their lives and the lives of loved ones around them. And if it's a pandemic of the unvaccinated still, then why do vaccinated people need to put the masks back on? Well, Peter, first of all, I would say, again, just to go back to this chart, which I will handily point to again, if you were vaccinated, if you were vaccinated, 
your life, it can save your life. And I think the clear data shows um, that this pandemic is killing, is hospitalizing, is making people very sick who are not vaccinated. That could still continues to be the case, uh, regardless of what the mask guidance looks like. If the vaccines work, which this sign says that they do, then why do people who've had the vaccine need to now wear masks the same as people who have not had it? Because the public health uh, leaders in our administration have made the determination based on data that that is a way to make sure they're protected, their loved ones are protected, uh, and that's an extra step given the transmissibility of the virus. Now, look, the virus is changing. If the virus is changing and it behaves differently, then, of course, the rules to fight the virus would likely change as well. That is why previously you would need to wear a mask if you were completely vaccinated. Now you're asked to wear a mask if you're completely vaccinated, not simply not to get remnants of a virus in your system, but because if you are infected and vaccinated, even though you will not necessarily get very sick or sick at all, there's a possibility because of the viral load in your system that you will also transmit the virus, even though you are as healthy as they can because your system is fighting the virus appropriately. So therefore, you wear a mask for the total community, for the protection of the community. Now, we wouldn't have to do that if we didn't have a large percentage of unvaccinated people. So most of the people that will complain are unvaccinated and the reason the vaccinated ones will have to wear a mask is because there are many people unvaccinated. The reason the virus is going to change and continuously mutate is that if you have a whole lot of unvaccinated people who are catching the virus, as the virus replicates, it gives it more opportunities to mutate and mutate means changing its structure, which eventually will likely defeat the vaccine that we're all protected by now. These are simple things, and if the right questions are asked that really need to be answered, most Americans will get it. But if it is made that it's not scientific, if it is made that somehow there's some trickery here, or there's some trying to control you there, or why did you say this before and now you're saying this as if you were mistaken to say what you said before, when what you're dealing with is a virus that's changing because people are not following the rules of today. Folks, reporters are just as bad, many of them at that White House, as the right-wing media, as well as the evangelical preachers and the Republican politicians that are willfully ignorant. I'm here with State Representative John Rosenthal once more. John is protecting our democracy, our voter rights in Washington, D.C. He's one of the Texas state representatives who took off to D.C. to make sure that they didn't have a quorum to take away our rights here in Texas. Representative Rosenthal, how are you doing this afternoon? I am doing well. You know, we're um, we're staying busy. We're working hard here. Uh, and um, we're we're in it because we we really believe in the cause. We we want to protect the freedom to vote, and, well, and not let not let our colleagues make it even more difficult than it already is to cast a ballot in the state. 
Now, I know that you guys have been in a lot of meetings. I know that a few of uh, uh, six of the members uh, sort of had breakouts with uh, COVID. Are they doing fine right now? Yes. So um, that, you know, it's been such a big piece of news. And really over here, it's not been anything. So um, we had one the the we had one member uh, test positive because he had uh, he was a test positive uh, uh, prior to a surgical procedure. He didn't even know he wasn't feeling bad. You know, we're all vaccinated. So once we found out about that, we had everybody tested, everybody tested, and uh, and that's when we found a few more positives. But really, as far as I know, of the six, only only two showed even minor systems. Okay. Uh, sorry, symptom. Right. So nobody's been really ill. Uh, we've had no new positives for three days. Uh, we're testing every day. And yesterday, it was yesterday or the day before, we did the um, the PCR test the, for everybody. The real deep the test, rapid. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The real, uh, the molecular test that's much more accurate. And we have still no new um no infection. So the, the takeaway from this, y'all, is we are seeing dramatic increases in hospitalizations and deaths in Texas and across the country associated with this new variant of the disease. Um, and among all of us here uh, vaccinated, most didn't have any trouble at all. The ones that even tested positive would never have known if we didn't test them. So they were completely asymptomatic. The takeaway is the vaccines work. Please, please, please get vaccinated so that we can rid ourselves of this problem once and for all. Thank you so kindly for that advice, Representative. Let me uh, let's let's get to the core of this thing right now. Um, first of all, just for a brush up to those people who still or may be a bit uninformed, why are you in uh, D.C. right now? Why did you leave Texas? Uh, we left Texas to to block a very egregious piece of legislation. So um, it it really is an attack on our freedom to vote. And um, anyone who tells you, oh, it's just a voter ID bill or it's this or it's that, this is 47 pages of all kinds of stuff in there. And uh, it chips away at your, at the availability. It chips away at the accessibility. It limits voting hours. And some of the worst parts are um, it gives license. It literally gives license to partisans to come into the polls as poll watchers and harass and intimidate voters. Like they get a free pass on the first offense. The election judges can't even ask them to leave until after they warn them and only when they witness the activity themselves. It literally says these people can violate the penal code. They can they can they can they can do criminal activity inside of the voting booth close enough to see and hear your voting activity. They can look over your shoulder and watch you vote and uh, harass, intimidate you, can't even be asked to leave until being warned, and only then uh, if the election judge witnesses the activity themselves. Y'all, this is an attack on our democracy. The, the, vote, the vote is sacred. The, the, vote, the, the freedom to vote is the cornerstone of our democracy. If you want your voices heard, that's your vote is your voice. Your voice is your humanity. And uh, anyone trying to take that away from you, I, I will fight that. That's why I'm here. 
And, you know, we thank you for, for doing that because I think that's important. Representative Rosenthal, uh, the word is out there that uh, somehow the taxpayer are picking up the tab for what you guys are doing out there in, in D.C. How much money are you taking away from the Texas taxpayer, my representative? So that number is zero. Uh, the only taxpayer money that's gone to this are the people who have given contributions toward the specific effort. So as far as government money, nothing. No government money has gone to support this at all. Most of us are even returning the daily expenses thing that you get during session. I'm returning my per diem. So zero government money, my brother. It's all private donations. I want the audience to realize this, folks, um, because this is very important. These people are not only not taking taxpayer dollars but this is also costing them as well. Many of them have their own businesses. Many of them have their own careers. The state only pays $600 or so per month. So That's no, right. this is at personal, at a personal hurt that our representatives are doing this. So again, like I have always asked, remember to support our representatives from the grassroots because the fact is, if, we are, if they're supporting us in, in what they're doing, we need to do the same as well. A lot of people uh, think that uh, a lot of this voting is only going to uh, affect a cla one class of people or one group of people or one ethnicity, not realizing that this stuff is really a, a, a partisan thing. They look at the way things are set out and the areas that uh, they feel vote Democratic is where these particular things are targeted. Uh, big cities, which are generally uh, Democratic, they will see loss of drop boxes, etc., and uh, in fact, I think they get the same amount of boxes as other folks as far as uh, et cetera. So, I mean, I think we need to explain to people that this is not a racial issue only. This is a party issue that says if you are voting for another party, we don't want you to vote. Absolutely right. So there's a couple of layers to this, the the, the innovations that we had in Harris County in the 2020 election that really made voting more accessible and more convenient, even in even with an active raging pandemic going on, this bill, you look at it and they go one by one on those things, they ban each of them. I don't know how it makes voting more secure to cut it off you know, and not allow 24-hour voting. I don't know why they, they would pretend that that eliminating drive-through voting makes it more secure. You know, 60% of the 120,000 people that cast drive-through ballots were women. And they were in Harris County. They directly went after us in Harris County. And then here's the other one. There's another bill besides this big, huge omnibus egregious piece. I believe it's House Bill. Is it 241 that, uh, that um, Representative Toth, Steve Toth brought? Steve Toth from the Woodlands, uh, when asked about this thing and they said, why are you only picking the 13 largest counties to do a, a forensic audit? Why are you only going to audit the 13 largest counties? Well, how about the 14th or the 15th? You know, how about some smaller counties? And he literally said, well, we don't really have the time and the money to do all the counties and really the smaller counties vote red anyway. So what's the point? They are literally going after Democratic voters. Wow. He actually slipped and said that. It's all if you if you check Twitter right now, all the Democrats are retweeting that because he literally said that out loud. 
You know, it, it is amazing that, um, it, that that's one thing the new Republican Party has learned, right, that they can actually think aloud. At first, all these things, they would try to do it in, 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 uh, in secret or do it without, you know, try, try to name, name something else. Now, um, you, you all have met with uh, the vice president. You've also met with, uh, I think, Representative Clyburn over, uh, over uh, Zoom. Or are That's you going correct. to meet? And by the way, have you guys been meeting in persons or all of you, all Texans have been meeting through Zoom? Well, until until we had, you know, the little uh, COVID issue pop up, all the meetings were in person. Mm-hmm. And so we met in person with a bunch of senators. Uh, we met with Kirsten Gillibrand, Raphael Warnock, um, uh, Amy Klobuchar. Uh, uh, Senator Merkley from uh, uh, Oregon, I believe. And I think we you also met with cinema, not cinema, with um, Manchin. Joe right? Manchin. Yeah. Yeah. So Texas Democrats have now met with Joe Manchin twice, um, and actually more productive meetings than you than you might think. You know, they didn't uh, go after him at all. They looked for common ground. He does believe in protecting voting rights. And he was the Secretary of State. So when when our folks explained to him exactly what's going on, what our laws look like, you know, we talk about uh, Crystal Mason, who's the woman from the Dallas area, who was on on probation after after a, a, a trial for a federal crime and and she received only probation in the federal court system and the probation officer they give you a package and they say you know no hanging out with felons no guns and they list out all the things you can and can't do they did not tell her she was ineligible to vote right and so she was still registered she cast a ballot she was brought into her probation officers uh, uh, into the probation officer's, you know, office, and they took her away in handcuffs. Right, and the, and the reason was for casting an illegal ballot. She did five years, right? So they they uh, sentenced her to five years for t- casting a provisional ballot that wasn't even counted. Right, the, the our system for provisional balloting, where they go and they check it to see if it's you know uh, to be counted or not, worked. The the ballot was not counted. And the Senate's 35 years. She's now out on appeal. Um, it wasn't five years. I think it was 26 months. Okay. In okay. prison for attempting to, when this was just an election worker who said, oh, you know, your name's not on the roll, but here's a provisional. If you fill this form out, you know, you could have an opportunity to try to cast about So when we talk about stuff like that, other states let people vote when they're on probation or when they get out. If right. On parole level. Our state, you have to complete all of that stuff. And that's, you know, I'm not even arguing the, 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 the ins and outs of it. I'm saying if you are on parole or probation, the people that set you up with your condition should inform you. Of that. Right. Well, I mean, it, it is sad that uh, it is sad. That so anyway, we explained that to. Uh, yeah, go ahead. I think you're yeah, from- we we explained that to the senator. And I'm not, now, Joe Manchin, let me ask Joe you about Manchin. the senator that you spoke to. The senator that you spoke to, uh, did you feel like uh, they will ultimately make that carve out? You know, that was uh, not part of the conversation. Of course, I was not in the room uh, for the Manchin meeting. I, I met with uh, Gillibrand and, um, uh, and a couple of others. I met with Raphael Warnock and... Uh, and uh, 
Amy Klobuchar, Merkley, um, and uh, Elizabeth Warren. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the people who did meet with Joe Manchin felt very positive that um, they were looking for paths to in, ensure that uh, the freedom to vote is protected in the country. Now, uh, and so we don't know Rosenthal. if that's going to look like a. Yes. L- let me tell you um, from what from those of us on the outside. All right. When uh, we 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 know I like your T-shirt, by the way. I love your T-shirt. Yes, I love that T-shirt. Anyway, we um, back it up here. There you go. This is the Texas Fugitive T-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> I like the Texas Fugitive. Anyway, um, uh, here's here's the issue. We know that there's not going to be not one Republican senator who is going to support uh, either the John Lewis bill or the We the People bill. Either Neither one of them is going to get the support. We know that. Uh, why the, the only option to get some sort of a bill is if there's a carve out that's made for that there's there there are just two ways right we get 10 republicans or we get a carve out and the 10 republicans are unlikely again do you uh, d- does do our texans feel like one of those things are going to occur there's actually a third possibility where they put some of these protections in a reconciliation bill oh so there's conversation about that i got you so i uh, know how do but reconciliation has to do with budget how do they turn that into a budget bill you know that all i can tell you is uh, they're having conversation about the possibility of doing that and i know that the senate parliamentarian is supposed to be making a ruling on on certain okay. provisions that could be that's news that is news this week uh, uh, as far as the process in the senate you know while I agree with you, I don't think we're going to see no 10 senators vote for any voting rights, legis- no, no 10 Republican senators voting for them. I think actually you might have a couple. I think actually um, Collins and Murkowski, Murkowski and actually uh, Toomey have agreed to meet with us virtually. And I think really um, that what about I, don't Romney? Remember, I don't remember the specific that's. That's working. I, I'm not the one setting up the meeting, so I don't know. I just heard that uh, that Democrats were going to meet with them or their offices or something like that. I knew that Murkowski and Toomey were interested in talking to us. Interesting. what I've heard. So we are we are attempting to reach across the aisle also. And I would consider senators like that more moderate. There's no way you get there's not 10 moderate Republican senators. Right. In the, right? There's just. Uh, but you might it's get a couple. And if it, you if you had a carve out or you had a way to do, um, you know, a reconciliation piece, uh, those are at, those are possible avenues. So, that's the only way. So, yeah. All right. I, I agree with you, brother. <laughs> now, Representative, um, we always end it the same the same way. Uh, you are out there in D.C. right now. What do you need us Texans? and the rest of the country to know. How would you like to close us out? Tell us what we need to do to help you do what you do. So there, uh, first, thank you so much, even just for having me on and having the conversation. People need to be educated about what's in this bill, be able to counter the disinformation that's out there. I think uh, folks advancing overly simplified narratives that are false is a real problem. So if you can help us with that, send your love, send your prayers and 
and uh, uh, fundraising is actually part of being elected, and we're not doing any of that, not at the level that we would be if we were back home. So if there's anyone out there who can uh, help to sustain us while we're doing this, that's also very much appreciated. And, well, uh, and either I would, through johnrosenthaltx.com or texashdc.org or whatever it is. I will, on your, on your, when this is processed, we will definitely have your website on there because we do need, we, we do need to support our representatives that are out there fighting the battle. I mean, you can't ask, you can't ask them to be grassroots and, 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 and then not expect that uh, we have to, I mean, we, we go to McDonald's, we go to all these places, we pay for cable TV, we do all these things. Please, folks, when you find yourself with representatives out there that are really representing the people, please do support them. Let's, we're going to put it on the screen, but I'd like you to ask people, how can they support John Rosenthal? Well, you can go to John Rosenthal TX. Dot com, John Rosenthal TX.com. Uh, that's the website. Um, that would be the place to make a financial contribution, but also anything, anything that you can do as far as your activism, bringing people along. We're going to have a massive voter registration effort in this state. Uh, we are going to combat whatever comes our way and through organizing. So all that and for folks that know me and know that I started as an indivisible um, leader, you know, it is the grassroots effort that got me elected and defeated a long-term incumbent. And it's going to be the grassroots effort that helps us make ground in the state. Absolutely. So representative John Rosenthal, thank you so kindly for being on politics done right. Thank you. Always a pleasure. Please remember to keep your community radio station, KPFT, in your minds. Talk about it. Tell your friends to tune in to 90.1 FM Houston or listen at kpft.org. Keep us on air by donating what you can afford at our website, kpft.org. Once again, remember, you can get Politics Done Right Mondays through Fridays on Facebook Live at facebook.com slash politics done right. Again, that is facebook.com slash Politics Done Right or on YouTube live at politicsdoneright.com slash YouTube. Again, that is politicsdoneright.com slash YouTube. Please do not forget to follow me on Twitter for updates. My handle is at Egberto Willis, at E-G-B-E-R-T-O-W-I-L-L-I-E-S. Well, folks, this is the end of the show. Thank you so kindly for listening. My name is Egberto Willis. This is Politics Done Right. And you know how I end this, baby. I 